Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, I don't even know where to start today. I got a couple announcements. Uh, the first one, and just take all that Sarah said, yay. Okay, now I got more. Uh, right down here in the parking lot is the Restore Ukraine Sea uh, Train that's down there. If you took a box to fill up to send some hard goods to Ukraine, it is due next Sunday. Next Sunday. Uh, the guy who uh, owns all those containers is going to put everything together and ship them over to Ukraine. And he's going to actually leave that here for us to store stuff for the Delta store in it until then after that. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's like a win-win for us. And get your boxes back in. If you have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about Restore Ukraine, uh, we have been filling boxes with non-perishable goods to send over to help the people who are there. If you would like to in one week fill a box and bring it back, you can grab a thing at the Welcome Center that tells you all that goes into a box and grab a box as well. But again, they need to be here next Sunday morning in order to do that. Um, I think that's all I have. Do you know, we have so many pumpkins. We have so many pumpkins. We, we picked these pumpkins, and uh, AJ, the, the guy who manages the farm that, that did those for us, he's like, well, how much? And I'm like, well, the other guy said he did like three quarters of an acre to an acre. And AJ's like, great. I think he planted four acres. <laughs> so, so we get there. We literally get down one row and, and halfway back the other one, and both of our trailers are just full. And so it was, it, it, it's a lot, it's a lot. And he was talking to a friend of mine and AJ's like, it's like it didn't even make a dent. And I'm like, yeah, we tried. Rudy even went back for a second load. It, I don't know, it, it, was great. it was great. And I don't just say that to let you know that I was out there loading pumpkins. <laughs> Welcome to Element if you're new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are not sermon notes on the communion tables around the room what we have are these booklets and these are our prayer booklets that will take us through the next 13 weeks as we go through our prayer series uh, in these booklets you're going to get short little daily devotions and so if you've never spent time with god every day this is a great way to start to build that habit there are questions for your friends your family uh, your gospel communities if you're in one and there are sermon recaps as well as some family notes and questions to talk to one another about but what there isn't in there is a place for you to take notes if you like to take notes during a message and we have these and these are the element prayer journals that go along with those prayer booklets and you can go ahead and grab one if you, there everything's free you get what you pay for um, but you can grab one of these and take notes in it. This is also a great way if you've never maybe started a journal as you pray through things, you can write in here your prayers. I, I've told you that I am not a great journaler. When I was a Christian for maybe three or four months, someone said, you should journal, and I tried it for a day. It's not my forte. Uh, and, but I have been, I've been trying it again, going through this series. I'm, again, I'm not very good at it, but I'm giving it a shot. And if you would like to do that, you can grab one of these as well. Uh, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device. And you will get uh, the sermon notes that we do have in there. You're going to get the verses that we're going to go through today. But you're not going to get all the stuff that is in them. So please grab those booklets. If you had one and lost it, feel free to grab another. We printed enough that we can make sure when people lose them, as you are wont to do, just like me, you can take another one. But in a new version, you'll get the announcements and all those things that are in there as well. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 
This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would move us to a place that we would understand what it means to live in true communication with you. That the prayers that we offer up are not just for things, but they are drawing us closer to you in relationship with you. And we ask that as we walk through what we talk about today, you would help us to understand what real prayer can end up looking like and being like in our lives. Amen. Have a seat. So as I keep saying, we are doing this series on prayer, and I think prayer is very important. If you are a Christian, hopefully at some point you'll get to that place in your life where you think prayer is very important. But prayer sometimes is just things that people maybe see on TV, or you go to a church and you see like a preacher like me pray in front of you, or maybe your granny did it for you, or you're in a group of like a gospel community, maybe somebody there does it. And sometimes people don't understand the fullness of what prayer is meant to be because they only see other people do it and are not doing it themselves. And so we have been defining prayer like this. Prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. It's that God has to reach out to us because we can't go on a vision quest or drop your peyote or do whatever to find God. God has to reveal Himself. And he has done that most clearly in his written word. And this is an act of grace. And by God revealing himself, we get to step into relationship with who he really is. Uh, that definition actually comes out of a book by Tim Keller, conveniently called Prayer. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to live every portion of our lives, understanding what ceaseless prayer is, how that looks. But first, I think sometimes we have a hard time living in real prayer or true prayer because our word for prayer stems from this old friend word that meant to obtain by begging. And sometimes that's how we approach God. We're like begging God for the scraps from his table, not realizing that we are meant to have a relationship with the all-knowing creator of the universe. Some people pray and they're constantly wondering, well, why can't I hear God? I felt like when I first believed God was just there and all the, I had all the feels and all the emotions and now I can't hear him anymore. Why doesn't God treat me like Moses and just burn a bush whenever I need an answer to something? That would be nice, right? God, I need clarity. Boom, your shrubs go up and you get clarity. That'd be great. That'd be great, but it doesn't work that way. And this is why I think why. I think God deals with us in maturity. God is growing us to be a people who trust him in each step of our lives. And he intends for us to begin to step out and trust him and make decisions that honor him with our lives. If you are a parent, hopefully you know this, or if you've had a parent, hopefully you know this, but you don't want to always tell your kids for all of their lives exactly what they have to do. If you have a 40-year-old kid living in your house and you're always telling them, oh, wear these clothes and take this job and marry this person and move to this area and go to this school, they're never going to learn to make choices. They're never going to learn how to develop true judgment and wisdom and responsibility. And God does want to grow us into a people who can learn how to live in true judgment and responsibility. Uh, sometimes when people don't make any decisions at all, they become very stunted. And I'm sure you've met some people today who have grown up that way and they're very stunted in the relationships. Good parents are wise and they will help their children get to a place where they can make wise decisions because in the end, there's really no other way to grow character. And sometimes people ask, well, you go back to the Garden of Eden, they say, well, why did God put a tree in the the Garden of Eden if they weren't allowed to eat fruit. And I think part of that is love, 
and grace because God is teaching them because he loved them. So why does God sometimes seem silent? I think that God is moving us to a place to start to live out what he has already placed in us, the things that we are meant to understand. I believe that many times we don't want to grow fully into the life that God is calling us to. I think many times we want to hold on and just let God tell us everything that we're supposed to do rather than trusting him. And I've told you this before. God's will for our lives is not a tiny little dot that you have to figure out. And if you miss it, your life is over. God's will for us is to serve, love, and glorify him. And when we do that in our lives, we'll begin to serve and love other people around us. His will is direction for us. And this is why sometimes God seems silent because it's like, God, what do I do? And God's like, okay, let's have you make a decision in this. Let's move forward. I will give you my strength. We'll walk forward together. But that is a way of actually developing relationships. Some people will never make a decision and they use prayer as a reason not to do it. Well, I'm just waiting on God. I've been waiting on God for five years, but I'm just waiting on God. I never really have to make a decision. God knows there are times and places that we will grow way more when we have to think about what is going to glorify him with our life, where we ask other people for wise counsel and we have to choose to take responsibility rather than as one writer says always trying to just get postcards from heaven about everything we're supposed to do and we plant an element i was praying to god every day god tell us tell me what to do just show me i'll do it burn a bush whatever it takes i will do it and god was pretty silent through the midst of it and eventually in the end what i did is i decided to make a decision that i thought would glorify him and as soon as i did god smoothed the way in all kinds of crazy ways But God left me in a position where it was like, okay, Aaron, I've walked with you. I've taught you through my word. Now what I want you to do is to trust me and glorify me. Make a decision. Let's go. And then God comes in the midst of that and does a whole lot of crazy things. And it led me to understand something. I hope you understand what I mean when I say this. But God's main goal for my life is not just the work I do. It's also the person that I become. And it's the person that you are becoming or God is redeeming you into. It's about that relationship. Guys, even when God seems silent, it is still about that relationship. He is growing us to trust him. When you are comfortable friends with somebody, you can sometimes get in a car and drive somewhere and you don't say anything at all. I mean, I'm not going to talk about you and your spouse when you're mad at each other and you drive somewhere. But I'm talking about like, you know, when you got really good friends. And you just drive somewhere and it's like, yeah, we don't need to fill the the space here with a whole bunch of words. We can just be in each other's company. And I think God intends for us at some place to get to that with him in our lives as well, where we can just be with him in his presence, walking with him day by day. And I think that that's kind of cool when we get there. Anyway, uh, if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6. And what I want to do is kind of move us to a place of understanding what real prayer kind of looks like today. I have an Element Bible that is on page 526. And again, I'm calling uh, real, this real prayer today because what this is going to do is set up what we call the Lord's Prayer. I like to call it the Disciples' Prayer because the disciples say, Jesus teaches how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, so it's really the Disciples' Prayer. All this week is going to do, this is my warning, this is the entire week, I'm going to set a T on the ground with a ball on top so next week we can just... Hit that right out of here about the Lord's Prayer. That's my, this whole thing this morning is setting up next week's message. 
You're welcome. All right. So Jesus says two things before he gets to the Lord's Prayer. And these are them. Number one, Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Well, what do the hypocrites do? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Some of your versions will say closet and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we're going to call that religious prayer because Jesus is talking to religious people here, those who believed in God. He goes on, though, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, all still about hypocrisy. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Some translations will say pagans or heathens, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And we're going to call this non-religious prayer because it's not the prayer like the religious people pray. Now, when you read about spending time on street corners, and we're not going to you know, think about that too much because I know most of you don't do that, right? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, many of you, you know, don't really sit around trying to go to the street corners and pray out loud, but this is really the idea of using religion as a means to power or respect. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's a way to maybe feel superior to others because you are doing things that they don't do. Look at me. Look at how religious I am. Like, maybe you're the most religious. You know the most, so all of your friends should come to you and get all of their answers to life from you rather than from even from God himself. There are people in this world and even in our own town who I have run into who use religion as a form of power. And I will tell you, when we use God as a means to our own ends, God is not a fan of that. And so this is why we're talking about real prayer, real relationship with God, because this is how we start. The first week we talked about what prayer is. Two weeks in, we talked about what prayer is not. Last week we talked about unanswered prayer. And I keep telling you that our motivation in prayer is not to get things from God but to know him better so our relationship grows. Sometimes people will say, why should I ever pray? It doesn't really change God. God's going to do what he's going to do. As if the only reason we pray is to get God to change or to give us things. We pray because it's about a relationship and communication with God. We want to be a people who start to worship in all of our lives, in all of our moments. We want to be a people who understand what he has done for us and that we will start to love because he has first loved us. J.D. Greer likes to contrast this between what is called a business model of prayer and a loving model of prayer. And so he asks this question, do you find God useful or do you find God beautiful for who he is? Now, a lot of people who find God useful, they will say, I'm praying and I want these things and that's why I pray to get certain things from God. And if God is useful, then you will discipline yourself to pray and force yourself to pray because you're trying to manipulate God to get the things that you want. But if you see God as beautiful, and you step into prayer that way, you're going to pray just to know him more. And so Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. In our mind, this evokes an image of Broadway in Maine or the Crossroads Center at Blosser and Bedaravia and standing out there and praying just like a crazy person. That is not what this is trying to evoke. Street corners in this time were town squares. It's where people would gather and they would come together. And so what Jesus is saying is there are people who pray in formal religious services and they will also pray at community gatherings and events. So ask yourself, is there anything wrong with coming and praying in a religious service like a church? No. Thank you for answering that because I do that every week for you. Okay. But also, is there anything wrong with leading in prayer at large public gatherings? No, there's not. I mean, you might get sued for it today, but you know... <laughs> 
But what Jesus is saying is that these people love the prestige of what it looks like because of what it brings them, not because they have a relationship with God. He's saying they do this outwardly, but they have no interior prayer life. This is why Jesus goes on and says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. See, what Jesus is talking about is kind of like a politician who gets up and they will say, and God bless you, and God bless the United States of America, even when maybe they hate America and don't believe in God at all. They, they say that as a way to make them fit into a social order. And it's interesting, focus groups still say that people love when politicians say that, even if people don't believe in God. They love when politicians say that because it makes everybody feel better because you are inside of a social order. One person says that. It actually baptizes us into a social order. We feel good about it. It brings a sense of stability. But what Jesus says is, that's not real prayer. It is not real prayer. You're not actually in relation to the real God. You might be relating to a cultural upbringing or to a tradition, a sense of nostalgia or familiarity, but it's, not, but it's only a connection to tradition. It's not a connection to the real God. What is a sign of a real relationship with God? It's when you go into your private prayer room, prayer closet, and you pray because there's a passion to know Him for who He is. And culturally speaking, these people didn't have rooms or closets like you do. So don't, you can't think of, you know, American architecture today. For them, this would be a space without distractions. Jewish people in Jesus' day had these things called prayer shawls. And when they wanted to be free of distraction, they would take them and they would put them over their head. And that was their prayer room, their prayer closet, their prayer space where they got away free from distractions. The word here for closet or room, it just simply means a space. Uh, John Wesley's mother, if you know who John Wesley is, his mother, they, a bunch of kids, and when she was overwhelmed, she would take her apron and she would put it over her head. And the kids were like, this is mom's private time. We, we stopped bugging her right now and they would go and, and do something else. See, for us, it could be your backyard. Uh, it could be your car with your window, windows are open and the AC on. It could be a comfortable chair. It's a space free of distractions. Where we are meant to live every moment of our lives with God himself, there are also places we want to get to and get rid of some of the distractions so we can spend time with him alone. Jesus is making a contrast between those who desire to be seen by others in their prayers and those who love God and just want to pray with him and be with him for who he is. Now, let me see if I can't hit home a bit. I'm not trying to just kind of pound on you guys about this today, but many times we resemble this. We don't really want to be with God. We, we do church or do a GC or do whatever, but when we're alone with God, we're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know all the words. What, what do I do? There's not really a passion to be with him. You might pray when there's trouble, but when the trouble is gone, when there's nothing forcing you, there's no internal pressure to actually want to spend time with God himself. Jesus says that is the sign of being just religious because there is no desire deep inside to want to be with God and spend time with him. Like you may go to church and it might feel good, but you're not actually connected to him. You don't have that private, personal prayer life. And again, don't shoot the messenger. Okay, This is, this is how Jesus is explaining it. And how do you know if you're a hypocrite? That's, that's what he says. Somebody who is one thing on the outside, another thing on the inside. And Jesus here doesn't talk about our sex life or our generosity. He talks about those other places. They're important. But here he said, the test is, do you have a prayer life? It's interesting. Uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote this sermon, Give Me Nightmares. It's called, Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. 
about these verses. If you've ever read a Jonathan Edwards sermon, you're like, yeah, that sounds totally like Jonathan Edwards. It really does. But I'm going to boil it down for you. You're welcome. So you don't got to read the whole thing. Uh, basically, he says there is only one thing that we do in our Christian life that is not for show, meaning other people might never see it. And that is our personal prayer life. He said everything else eventually works itself out. And I do think our personal prayer life will work itself out as well. People will begin to see it. But he says that's one thing we don't do for show. That's just between us and God. And when we love him, we want to enter into that. And again, my goal is not to make you feel guilty. My goal in this prayer series is to move us out of ritual and move us into a place of relationship with God himself. And that will only happen as we understand who he is, as he has revealed himself to his, by his word, in his grace, that moves to a full relationship with him. That only happens when we move to that place that we have a desire to know him. So what's your secret prayer life like? If you want to evaluate your relationship with God, set aside the, I go to church, I'm a great Christian, I know lots of verses, I give lots of money. I mean, not, not that that's necessarily bad. I mean, we keep our lights on that way. But do you pray when no one is around? Again, Jesus says that the hypocrite is simply one who doesn't have a passion to know God. They may be super religious. They might do tons of great things, but they do those things because they want to have their best life now or they want to go to heaven when they die. Treating God like that is like a husband treating his wife like she's a maid or a wife treating a husband like they're just there to help watch the kids and that's all they're there for. It's like a, a friend who only wants you around when no one else is around. It's, it's not a relationship. It's just using others. So what's your prayer life like in secret? All right, we're going to leave that there because I don't, I don't want you to feel shame in that. Uh, just evaluation is really good for us. Okay, that's religious prayer. Now moving on. Secondly, he then goes into this, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now that means to stammer or repeat yourself. The NIV will translate that as babbling. The King James Version will use the word vain repetitions for that. He says, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the second don't pray like a hypocrite is don't do it like the pagans who think that because they just say lots of words, God has to hear them. And then Jesus will launch into the Lord's Prayer, which starts like this. Pray them like this, our Father in heaven is a totally different way to understand who God is, our Father, because God knows what you mean. All right, so this word empty phrases or babbling, this is what's called a hapoxogomenon. Again, you guys are like, I don't know what that means. What it means is this is the only place in the Bible that word is used. And as a matter of fact, in all of ancient Greek literature, this is the only place that word is used. It's kind of interesting. So it was probably slang. Jesus using a slang term that people knew in the day. And so this babbling and empty phrases, it's this word called batalageo. And it comes from batos, which means stammer, and logos, which means words. You're just stammering all of your words. And so then it goes on, he says, for they think they'll be heard because of those many words. Well, the word many words is this word called polylogia. And some people think this is where we get our word pollution from where you are, pollu you, are, you are polluting the air with all the words that you are saying. You don't need all of these words. It's kind of like, I mean, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but kind of like diarrhea of the mouth is, is what it's talking about. And so don't batologeo, don't polylogia. How do you pray? Our Father, 
our Father. It's a totally different understanding. The word here for Gentile or pagan is this word ethnikos, which is where we get the nations from. We get a word ethnic from that. And the New Testament is usually translated as the unreligious. It's those who are different from the Jews. And so this is why we're calling this non-religious prayer. And what Jesus does, talking about these two forms, is contrasting a religious prayer that's only done for show versus a non-religious prayer, which is a lot like voodoo. What are these two people Babylike? Are these people Babylike? Well, 10 years ago, I gave you some examples of this. And I'll, and I'll give you those again today. It's been a while. I'll read this to you. This is an ancient uh, Egyptian prayer to Amun-Ra. This would have been common in the day if you were in Egypt. This is how it starts. Again, this is just the beginning. Hail to thee, Amun-Ra, Lord of the thrones of the earth, the oldest existence, ancient of the earth, support of all things, chief of the gods, Lord of truth, father of the gods, maker of men and beasts and herbs. And I like that because it's cilantro. Um, maker of all things above and below, Lord of wisdom, Lord of mercy, most loving, opener of every eye. Again, still just the beginning. Hail to thee, thou one with many heads, sleepest when all others sleep, adoration to thee. When addressing Amun-Ra, how many words do you have to say before Amun-Ra might go, oh, 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 he's talking to me. He's talking. Yo, I'll, I'll listen now. Listen. What does Jesus say? How do you talk to God? Our Father. Our Father. You see the difference? The, there's an Akkadian prayer at the time to the moon god, Father Nana. Uh, I'll read it to you real quick. Again, the, just the beginning, just the beginning, but this is how this would go. People would have known this. Pagans pray. Okay. Father Nana, Lord Anshar, hero of the gods. Father Nana, great Lord Anu, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord Sin, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord of Ur, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord of Igishingral, hero of the gods. You don't know if I said it right or not. Father Nana, <laughs> neither does Father Nana. Father Nana, Lord of the Shining Crown, hero of the gods. Father Nana, who is grandly perfected in kingship, hero of the gods. Father Nana, who solemnly advances in garments of princeliness, hero of the gods. Ferocious bull, whose horn is thick, whose legs are perfected. You know, he's just waiting for that part, right? Did they notice my legs? You know, how many times do you have to say Father Nana and do you have to notice his calves? You know, will we not listen? Do other gods not have nice legs? And so you got to point out his nice legs. I mean, seriously, how does Jesus say to pray? Our Father. Our Father. See, religious, non-religious people, they keep on repeating these phrases because they think that by doing so, God will hear them. God will become more inclined to who they are. We still do this. Om, om. We start repeating these things over and over. They assume that God is naturally hostile towards them. And only if you say the right things often and loud will God or the gods or the universe become favorably inclined towards you. This is a wound that's deep inside humanity. How about this one? Uh, these are from third century uh, Igiving tablets. I'm sure you've read all these yourself. But anyway, here is tablet one. Jupiter Gravovius. And I love that name, by the way. I swear if I ever get another dog, it is going to be Jupiter Gravovius. You should name your firstborn that. Okay. Uh, Jupiter Gravovius, if on the Fiscian Mount fire has arisen, or if in the nation of Igbuvium the ode preparations have been omitted, let it be as if they have been made. Jupiter Gravovius, if in your sacrifice there has been any flaw, any defect, any ritual violation, any fraud, any error, if in your sacrifice there is a flaw, either seen or unseen, how does the third century prayer to Jupiter Gravovius start? It starts with a base level of terror and fear. Oh, I might have done this thing. The last time I worshipped you or I showed up, I might have forgotten this or that. So something's wrong. So please, 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 please overlook all these things. There is a primal anxiety that God is mad and I don't know where I stand. This is why God reveals himself to us in his word. And how does Jesus say we're supposed to pray? Our Father. Our Father. What's interesting is that you can see this in a lot of religions today. 
Muslims will recite the Quran over and over, the sajud, Allah Akbar, and they, and, and they bow down. They'll say the same thing over and over. Catholics will have rosary beads and Hail Marys and Our Fathers. I sin, what do I do? You say this many Hail Marys, this many Our Fathers. You say the same thing over and over. Buddhists will chant, same kind of thing. And when you think about it, is that how we think God really wants to be in relationship with us? That God is impressed with how many times we can say the same thing over and over and over again? Let me, let me show you what it's like. Uh, some of you guys are parents, some are not, and maybe you've seen parents and things like this. Um, how about this? Dad, 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 mom, dad, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets, chicken, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets, dad, and eventually you're like, I got it. You want chicken nuggets, you're annoying me, go talk to your mother. There is something that is primal inside of us. And I think it's because of our fallen nature that we think we have to do these things and scream out to God over and over. There must be someone up on a cloud who is offended with me. And I will shout and dance and cut myself and get frantic and say all these words that make no sense. And I'll wash and repent and talk about their thick horns and their great legs over and over. Because then surely I will be heard. Robert Wuth and I wrote this book called After Heaven. And at the time, when he wrote it, he's probably the leading sociologist of religion. And he says, uh, it, it's, it's really a, a very thoroughgoing sociological reflection of spirituality today. And he says, people used to go to sacred spaces and places out of family tradition. That's the religious approach. You do it because of the respect that it brings you. And he says, but now people are saying, I hate religious institutions, but I'm spiritual. Right? Sounds like America. He says, people are now into religious, spiritual exercises. This is, again, the non-religious way. He says, modern spirituality is now becoming technique-driven. And so you will repeat the same things over and over. You'll stretch. You'll, be, oh, you'll do all these different chants and things. And so you have visualization techniques and relaxation techniques and breathing techniques as a way to bring calmness so you can reach your spirituality. It's kind of like baseball players, like visualize your home run or runners, you know, visualize the, the finish line that's there. It's just this modern pagan approach that Jesus talks about. And this tells you the wound is not only present back then, the wound is present today. And like I said, you can see it in a lot of, a lot of kids. Jesus, on the other hand, says when you go to pray, you get to boldly call God Father when you're in relationship with him. This is what the gospel brings. It brings us to a place where we are back in relationship with God, and he is our Father, and that turns into real prayer. Why? Because kids are typically not shy around their parents. They act like their parents are always there for them. They can interrupt them, and it is not disrespectful, usually. You can be in the middle of a conversation that's really intense. Your kid be like, hey, 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 look what I drew for you on the wall with your crayons that you gave me. You know, kids, kids do that stuff. And you know, this is one of the things that Christianity teaches that almost every other religion in the world finds bizarre. Actually, Muslims think it's disrespectful and irreverent that we would or should go and be so relational with God himself. In my humble opinion, I think that wound inside of us, as I said, goes back to our sin that our sin makes us be in a place where we cannot truly trust who God has revealed himself to be. And so what we start to do is we make God in our image rather than trusting how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And we start to serve a God that looks like us 
Robert Wuthnow actually talked about this. He says, you first shape your gods, and then your gods are going to shape you. And that means if, if your god is violent and, pani- and, and punishes and banishes and torments, then you're going to become violent. And it's going to be easier for you to justify violence. If your God is petty and judging and condemning and only likes people who look like him, well, then you're going to become that way as well. And guys, this goes for people who believe in God and don't believe in God. It goes for the, the KKK. It goes, and it goes all the way over to the other side of the intellectual elites. You're like, what papers have you read? And what schools did you go to? Went, oh, well, you're not as good as me. It goes for everybody, even those who don't believe in God. If your God loves money, well, then you're going to love money. And you might end up giving, but you're only going to give for what you can get out of it on the backside. Shape your gods, and your gods shape you. And none of it is real prayer. None of it. Religious prayer is outward because the gospel has not transformed people's hearts and lives to be alive and have a passionate relationship with God himself. And non-religious prayer or pagan prayer is done in a way where you try and coerce the gods or the gods or the universe or whatever it is to pay attention to you or to care about you. I will do all these things so I feel better. Jesus says religious prayer and non-religious prayer are both wrong because they're not real prayer. It's not a relationship. And this is how he will then launch into a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which is based upon grace and God's favor towards his children. He will start speaking of God as Father. That's my T, okay? Ball on top. We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer next week and hopefully knock it out of here. We'll see how that goes. But this is why we have to understand the gospel, the good news of God's rescue of us. That God is the one who had to come to us in our lost and broken state. That God is the one who had to bring us back to himself by his own sacrifice in the person of Christ. Gospel prayer, real prayer, flows from the assurance that we have God's approval when we've trusted in Christ. We're not trying to do all these things to get God's approval. When our lives have been surrendered to and found, we've been reborn in the person of Jesus Christ, we have God's approval because we have Christ's approval. Jesus took all of our sin upon himself at the cross and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our death. He gives us his life. And if we ever want to step into a real continuous conversation with God, we understand that it is something that he himself has started with us. Religious Gentiles try to pray to impress God. Religious people try to pray to manipulate God. And real Christian prayer is meant to be done with the assurance that God is our loving father. And he already knows us. And he already cares about what we need. Because what did we need? We needed salvation. We need to be brought back from the places that we have run towards our own devices and run away from him. God brought us back to himself in the person of Christ. And we're never going to pray in real ways unless we understand what the gospel is. And this is why it is so important to understand the different ways that people try and seek out God today. Because many times in seeking out God, we're only seeking out ourselves. We're only looking for things of somehow, if I do this, that would appease me, so let me do that, and that'll make the gods feel better. No, we come to the place every week of communion because it's a reminder of what God did to rescue us, to step into where we are to bring us to himself. And that is why you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip that in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for every single one of us because we could not pay for our own sin. We could not do it, no matter how many Jupiter Gavoviuses or Amun Ra's or nice legs God that we said. None of those things. It's that Jesus came and took all that separated us from God and us from one another upon himself at the moment of the cross. The reason we call 
the gospel, the good news, and we call this moment of what Jesus did the good news, is that we needed good news because we were lost. And this is why God brings us to himself by his own choice and by what he does himself. And this is why it's revealed to us, because mankind is forever trying to find our own way back into God's good graces. And yet God has provided a way for us to be in relationship with him. So we trust in the person of Christ and what he has done. And when you take communion today, remember that. Remember what God has done. And let it lead you to a place of humility and understanding that when we pray, we get to say, Our Father. If, if you need prayer today, uh, the, the prayers will be right across the way in the lounge that's right across the way. And also, if we go through, go through something like this and you have a question about some of the things we talk about, they'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. And so it's, it's not just necessarily just for prayer. It's, man, I, I heard all these things. I don't really understand some of the things. And I've got a couple of questions. We'll ask them as well. And I just put them on the spot, by the way. They're like, what? Yeah. If they don't know, they'll come and grab one of us and we'll, we'll take care of it. But seriously, if, if there's something just going through your head and you can't put two and two together with it, talk to them. Let it, pray with them. And then let them begin to kind of walk through some of the questions you might have with that as well. We want to be a people who teaches one another what it means to really address God as our Father and walk through this life in places where we understand that our God has reached out to us and we get to have a deep relationship with Him because He is good. There's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's meant to be a response to God showing himself as a father, his generosity and saving us. So we simply become a generous people. I mean, how, how can we not? And take, you know, the, the prayer booklet if you don't have one or if you do. Look through some of those questions in the back. You know, maybe some of those questions in those, in those little short daily devotions and maybe the questions for your family or your friends and kind of walk through those. And just think through some of the, the questions that are there and then talk to other people about them. So we can come alongside one another and remind one another of the goodness and the grace of God. That there is a real relationship that God intends to have with us as his people. And it is great grace that we get to step into that. But it is not something that we figure out on our own. It is how God has first revealed himself to us in his truth and in his grace. So let us be a people who live and communicate with him in real prayer. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand the great grace that it is of our Father. That instead of all these gyrations and all these different things that we have to jump through hoops of, we simply come to a place where we lay ourselves fully before you and trust what you have done for us. That we would step into the places of grace that you have already provided. That we would understand that all that has separated us from you, you have taken care of in the person of Christ. And all that in the end separates us from one another has also been taken care of by you in the person of Christ. And I ask that that view would begin to change us to see prayer not as a duty, but as a way to step into deeper relationship with our Father. God, I know there are people in this room who have probably had really bad fathers. And I ask that that understanding of Father would be remade in their minds because of what you've done. 
how you have sought us out and brought us to yourself. And I ask for those who have had good fathers that they would see how infinitely higher your fatherhood over us is than the joy that they've even known with their own dads. And that will lead us all to a place where we would step into real and true communication with you. That we would have a loving model. And that we, we would be, as Jonathan Edwards talks about, a people who spend time with you because it's you. And as we walk through each week of this series, that that would become more pronounced and more exciting to us. And that we would grow each step of the way. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. Mark's going to uh, drop the curtains. And as that happens, guys, just take a couple moments here just to reflect a bit. In what ways in your life do you think you have tried to ingratiate yourself to God? I'll do this thing, God will find it really impressive, <laughs> and therefore he'll be more inclined to do this or that. I'll, I'll go to church, I'll, I'll pray these things, I'll do these things, I'll give this much. I'll do, you know, not, not that those things are necessarily bad. Just many times we do things that try to ingratiate ourselves to God rather than trusting him to be the good father that he is. So just take a couple moments and think about that. Do you really understand the good father that he is and that he promises to continue to be over every single one of us and so that we would be able to step into places of real and true prayer because we understand who he first is. And then come and take communion. Sing some songs with us. You know, hopefully head out into this world and live this week in such a way that your relationship with God just grows deeper and deeper because you understand him, not as a God that needs to be impressed because we're not that impressive, not that a God that can be manipulated by our many words, but a God who has chosen to love us, a God who is sufficient in himself and yet has decided to love us because he is good.